uh, this morning. My name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors. And I get this morning the privilege of continuing uh, a series that we've been in. And uh, we've been calling this series Busy Jesus, Busy Jesus. And uh, in this conversation, we are asking the question, what does it look like to live like Jesus, especially when life feels most busy? What does it look like to live like Jesus, especially when life feels most busy? And if you're anything like me, then this is a time of year when our calendar starts to get populated, our margins start to thin a little bit, there's a little less sunlight outside, kids are back in school, the projects start to ramp up, and it just feels like life is closing in. And before long, we actually start to answer questions about how we're doing with the word busy. How are you doing busy? How are you feeling busy? Um, uh, can we do that thing that we've talked about doing for a while? I would, but I'm busy. Well, how are you doing with the things that you have said over and over and over again matter more than anything else in your world? Well, I would focus on some of those things, but life feels busy. And if we're not careful, busy becomes the boss that starts to bully us around and we feel like life is living us instead of the other way around. And if we are not careful before long, we start to give each other passes. Like, it's all right if you're not doing the things that you were called and created to do because you're busy. So am I. You are too good. So, oh, great. Let's give each other a pass. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, busy actually becomes this badge of honor. Like if I say busy, don't worry about it. Just trust that I'm doing important things. And what we want to ask is, man, are we busy about the things that matter most? Because what matters most ought to matter most no matter what. And the seasons of busyness just have a way of asking us the question, do the things you say matter most really matter most by virtue of what is on your calendar? And so we want to be the right kind of busy by navigating busy the way Jesus navigated busy. So if you have a copy of the Bible, you can meet me in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Uh, if you were here last week, then, uh, then you know that we were in Luke chapter 18, and so we're just going to turn the page and enter into the next Jesus episode as directed by Luke. And just to give you a little bit of context before uh, we get there, uh, at this point in the Jesus story, um, Jesus could not be more viral. He is the most popular figure on the face of the planet, everybody by the thousands coming out of everywhere just to get a glimpse of Jesus, just to see him a little bit. And if uh, you happen to have VIP tickets, then maybe you may hear the sound of his voice and the rumble in it. If you win the proverbial lottery, then maybe you might be close enough to see him pull off one of his epic miracles that have reverberated through the world. Jesus is popular at this point. So everywhere he goes, there is buzz around him at epic heights. And at this point, it's no different, except the buzz has intensified even more because Jesus just performed one of his famous miracles by returning sight to 
a blind guy's eye. So imagine if Jesus wasn't epic enough and if the buzz around him wasn't high enough, it just escalated to a new level because there's a fresh miracle in the midst. And the dude that Jesus just healed is now following him around as his number one hype man. He's walking around just testing out his new eyes. He's, you know, playing peekaboo and taking selfies, whatever he's doing. But that just intensifies the buzz around Jesus. This is happening outside the gates of the city called Jericho. And that's where we join the story. This is Luke chapter 19, um, verse number one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay, so apparently Jesus is in the area, and while he's in the area, he decides to actually go into the city limits of Jericho, maybe to grab a snack, maybe to carload for his trip to Jerusalem. We're not quite sure what he is doing, but whatever the case, the crowd follows him in, and the buzz is high. People are still cheering about the miracle that he just performed. You can hear people murmuring to each other, I told you, he's the guy, man. He is the Messiah. I'm all in with Jesus. Whatever he says, I'm doing. Wherever he goes, I'm going to. And now he's in the city limits of Jericho. And Luke, this brilliant director, um, he takes the camera and um, he pans it away from this pandemonium that is the Jesus crowd, and he focuses it on, on some dude who is lurking and lingering in the background. And the moment this dude comes into view on the screen, the whole festivity vibe dies. Luke focuses on the dude who is the most vile, the most diabolical character of all. If Jesus at this point is the most desired person on earth, this guy was in the running for the most despised. Look what he says, verse number two. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Ooh. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. All the music changes, the audience boos, because this dude was the worst of the worst. Like, why, Luke, would you even think it is a good idea while all of us are in such a great buzzy mood to introduce this absolute buzzkill of a character? It says, Zacchaeus steps onto the scene. Um, Zacchaeus was a, a Jew. And uh, just like the rest of the, the folks around Jesus at this point, he grew up under the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. The Romans were the most powerful empire on the planet. And one of the ways they used their power was to subjugate um, was to colonize weaker nations and squeeze everything they could out of them, labor and money. They would squeeze and squeeze. And the more they squeezed, the more powerful they became and the weaker these nations became. And the nation of Israel was one such nation. Um, 
And as a Jew, Zacchaeus would have grown up under the tyrannical rule of the Roman Empire, but it says he was a tax collector. Which means as a Jew, he went to the Roman government and he said, hey, here's, listen, listen, here's what I'll do. Um, If you hire me, I will help you squeeze every ounce of money out of my own people and I will deliver it to you for a small fee. And the Romans are like, bet. And they send him off and that's exactly what Zacchaeus spends his time doing. He is pressing his own people for every dollar he can get out of them. And he actually adds a little bit more on the already high taxes of the Romans so that he can pocket a little bit of the extra. And the more poor he pushes his people to become, the richer he himself becomes. But it's not just that. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He is CEO. He is CEO of this oppressive group of individuals. There are other tax collectors, but he is the chief of this extortion scheme, leading these other Jews to oppress their own people and abuse their power. And it says he wasn't just a chief tax collector, he was wealthy. Which means he has been doing this for quite a while. And the more the Jews suffered, the more Zacchaeus and his boys rocked their yachts on the Sea of Galilee. I'm not saying Zacchaeus was at that Jesus level, but I am suggesting that uh, most of the Jews, especially in that region, would have known exactly who this mob boss was. Or at least people like him. And they would have hated him just as much as they would have been scared of him. This was a terrifying dude. In order to be able to intimidate and make sure that he collected everything to deliver to the Romans, he had to have tactics that instilled the greatest fear in his people. Because if he couldn't squeeze every dollar, denarii, out of his people, then the Romans would have no use for him. They would find somebody who could. So this guy was a terrifying mob boss in that particular region. So I don't know if I mentioned, the Jews hated this dude. He was everything that was wrong with the government. He was a traitor to his people. And because his people were God's people, he was a traitor to their God. An enemy of the people, and as far as they were concerned, an enemy of God. Jews could not have despised him more, and in their minds, neither could God. So just as this Jesus party is like getting super crunk, I don't know if people say that anymore, uh, Luke throws this bomb of a buzzkill into the mix, Zacchaeus. And if the blind guy last week was invisible and irrelevant, this guy would have been known, feared, and intolerable. 
the worst version of sinner. Verse number three. He, Zacchaeus, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he, Zacchaeus, was short, he could not see over the crowd. Again, the Jesus effect breaks through all barriers. The rich want to see him. The poor want to see him. The weak want to see him. The powerful want to just get a glimpse of Jesus, just a piece of Jesus. And this powerful guy is no exception, right? I mean, he had heard about this miracle worker, and he was willing to put himself in the middle of a mob of people who hated him just to see Jesus. That's all he wanted. Problem he was um, not created to um, grab stuff off the top of the refrigerator. Um, uh, apparently, yeah, the DNA was not vertically generous with, with Zacchaeus. So uh, Luke tells us just medical terms, Zacchaeus was short. Um, so, again, we don't know the situation. We don't know if Zacchaeus is standing in the crowd and he's seeing a lot of butt or seeing a lot of back, but we know he couldn't see over shoulders. Like, so his view was completely um, obstructed. So, uh, like the blind guy, he knew Jesus is like right there, but I can't see him. But apparently what he lacked in, in height, he made up for in determination. Look at verse number four. So he, Zacchaeus, he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Oh, and if you're watching this, this episode, this would have been an absolutely shocking scene. Luke is a brilliant writer. Amazing directing that he's doing here, right? The people watching this in the first century would not have been sure as they see the scene, whether to, to gasp or whether to laugh hysterically as Luke portrays Zacchaeus dashing through the crowd like a little boy to go climb a tree like a toddler. This was ridiculous. Like, I mean, you wouldn't be sure which way to go with this. Um, in that culture, an adult man, especially a grown man, of Zacchaeus's social status would never be caught dead running. And yes, I understand the irony of that statement. Would never be seen running in public. No way. That would be undignified. That would be unsightly. Part of the perks of being powerful and rich was you had people to do all of the running for you. If you start running around, that's a sign of weakness and, and desperation like you. He had people for that. He had chariots to pick him up and take him wherever he needed to go at any given time. Z money don't run, baby, right? I mean, this would have been very awkward. And climbing trees? What? This would have been hilarious. And more than that, it would have been humiliating. First of all, I'm guessing Zacchaeus is at least 40. Um, have you tried to climb a tree in your 40s? I mean, it's just plain awkward and it would be uber um, embarrassing. Plus, he is wearing um, a very fancy Middle Eastern 
dress. I don't mean to be indiscreet or indelicate right before lunch, but there may or may not have been some flashing in the making of this particular episode as this dude is hiking things up. He's trying to climb up a tree. This would have been hilarious and completely unheard of. Um, on top of that, do you know how dangerous it would have been for Zacchaeus to be running and climbing trees? And I don't mean because he's in his 40s and going to trip and you know, fall off a branch. I don't mean that. I mean in his line of work, you cannot afford to have that kind of respect seeping out of your name. If people see you in this undignified, toddler, childish-like posture, climbing trees and running around, they will lose respect for you. And the fear that instilled in them, that drove them to give you whatever it was for the Romans, that would go away. And you lose a little bit of your intimidating swag. But apparently... In order to get a glimpse of Jesus, here he is, undignified, running like a little boy and climbing trees in public. Verse number five. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What a scene. Jesus looks up and he immediately sees Zacchaeus in the tree, knows exactly who he is, if not by omniscience, probably by description and reputation. I'm sure Jesus had heard of Zacchaeus. Plus, I'm guessing there's murmuring happening in the crowd as people are chuckling and they're confused and they're not quite sure what to do and they're starting to whisper, Zacchaeus, look at him, Zacchaeus. So in either way, Jesus looks up and knows exactly who that is up in the tree. This was a powerful dude who has terrorized the people. He was a household villain name, widely known deeply hated. Jesus looks up and sees his striking humility and he says, I want to come to your house and hang out. Check that. Jesus says, I must come to your house and hang out with you today. Oh, and yes, I did say humility because man, it shows up in this scene in droves. Zacchaeus knows exactly what he's doing. Zacchaeus knows exactly what it looks like. He's not a subtle character, short but not subtle. He knows exactly what it looks like as he's running around and trying to climb trees and people can see him and they're murmuring. He knows what this is doing to his social clout. He knows what this is doing to his reputation and he's doing it anyway. He's apparently willing to look foolish and childlike just to see Jesus. Not even to talk to him, just to see him. Because my suspicion is Zacchaeus would have believed somebody like that would never want to talk to somebody like me. I just want to see him. And I don't even care what the people around me think or what implications this has for the future of my career path. 
He climbs up as a gesture of getting low. For the blind man, it was his desperate faith that cried out, Jesus, help me. Jesus, son of David, help me. Even in the face of the religious majority telling him to be quiet. I don't care what y'all have to say. I came to see him. And see him, he did. And now here is Zacchaeus, this vile villain willing to look like a foolish, needy child to everyone in order to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus says, I must come to your house. Verse number six. So he, Zacchaeus, came down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. Again, humility. Zacchaeus isn't upset like Jesus. Why are you calling me out like that, man? Oh, why are you TMZing me like this? Now all the paparazzi, everybody is drawn to my situation. He doesn't seem to care what anybody is thinking or who's staring at him. It says he comes down and he's like, yes! Woo! Gladly welcomes Jesus, invites him to the house that Jesus' taxes may have very well helped pay bill to build. And, and he rolls out the red carpet, gives Jesus the absolute royal treatment. Something has happened to this man and he doesn't care about anything else. He just knows he needs a little Jesus in his life. Ooh, this does not go over well with a religious community. This Jesus episode went from awkward to hype to, to funny to, to, to downer, and now it is just straight up triggering. People are enraged. Verse number seven. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Ugh. I don't know about y'all, but I'm done, man. I'm out. I'm done with Jesus. Wait, did you just say you're all in and whatever he says and wherever he goes and that he is the Messiah? And I told you so. Yeah, that was 20 minutes ago before he went and ruined it by doing this. I'm out. He's doing dinner at the this gross, vile sinner's house. That's disgusting, man. I can't. Culturally, hear me, culturally, to go to somebody's house for dinner in that context was a gesture of acceptance and embrace of that person. That is why the crowd is losing them. Jesus is accepting and embracing him. I'm out. I can't do that. The worst kind of sinner, someone whose life choices are so repulsive to God and so gross to us. And people start borderline boycotting the Jesus show and canceling their subscriptions. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus is having this massive Jesus makeover party at his house. Verse number eight, but Zacchaeus, 
he stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Come on, Luke, the music changes again. And what it sounds like to you depends on your perspective of who Jesus is. This man has a true encounter with Jesus. And suddenly what matters most to him is not the money he makes, not the power he wields. It's Jesus and what matters most to Jesus, because I noticed, I don't know if you did, he calls Jesus Lord. Not sir, not teacher, not a miracle worker, not viral entertainer. He calls him Lord. And as a man of great power and authority, he is yielding himself to a greater power and a greater authority and saying, I'm going to do whatever you say to do. I'm all in with you. This is a powerful scene, and I don't know what the music sounds like to you. If I'm able, I want to make all my wrongs right with all the people that I've wronged. And I want to use all of my rights to make things better for those who are experiencing what's wrong in the world. Every person I've ripped off to get rich, I want to pay them back with 400% interest or whatever it is. And then the rest of it, I want to give half of my stuff to help the people who are struggling to make ends meet. Because man, when you have an encounter with the person of Jesus, you start saying crazy stuff like this. I am all about what you are all about now. Wow. While, <laughs> ironically, the large and vast religious community who've been following Jesus are furious. Why? Because the Savior is saving. And they're like, no, we're out. They're salty that Jesus is doing exactly what he came to do. Luke loves to establish that irony. That guy was blind, but who really couldn't see what mattered most? Oh, that guy is a sinner most distant from Jesus, but who really is furthest away from him right now? It is not that gross dude up in the tree and now inviting and welcoming Jesus to his home. It is the people who've been following in closest proximity to Jesus, hyping him up and talking about how amazing he is. It is those people who are more committed to what they are against than what Jesus is about. This is not accidental what Luke is doing to create these contrasts in 
the Jesus story. And so Jesus shuts it all down. He says, verse number nine, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Son of Abraham, by the way, is a very interesting phrase. It seems to be a phrase in the New Testament. And I think in Jesus's usage, that speaks about faith because Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You say you're a son of Abraham, but you don't share in the faith of Abraham. Just because you share in the, you know, the bloodline of Abraham does not mean you share in the spiritual heritage of Abraham, which is faith. Jesus seems to be locking in on the same thing he did with a blind guy, faith. This man who y'all are calling the worst of sinners has just experienced transforming salvation by believing what I told him, not by walking around me and making me in his own image. And if you don't believe it, just listen to what he's saying. This dude whose whole life has been about money all of a sudden is like, and who can I give it away to? Because what matters most to me is the person of Jesus and the agenda of Jesus, my Lord. Verse number 10, some of the most well-known words of Jesus. He says, for the Son of Man, speaking about himself, came to seek and to save the lost. I think it is interesting. Jesus does not argue. He acknowledges the fact that Zacchaeus isn't just a sinner, he's lost. I think it's interesting. Jesus doesn't defend Zacchaeus's behavior. He says, but this is exactly who I came to seek and save from these very things. This is exactly who I came to offer forgiveness and freedom This thing you're upset about to the religious community is exactly the thing I came to do, to seek out, to sit with, and to offer salvation to the worst kinds of sinners. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. That is sitting heavily on his heart. That is being processed in his mind. There are people all around him clamoring for his attention and there are expectations everywhere about what he should be and what he shouldn't be and who he should hang out with and who he shouldn't hang out with. This is the world of Jesus. You want to talk about busy. Jesus' world was straight up chaotic and yet watch him. He stops all of that to offer sight to a blind dude. And then he takes a detour on his way to die into Jericho to take time in the middle of all of that. He's like dinner. It's like, no, can we just please quickly text and just walk with me? Just walk with me. I got to go. No. He sits down and he reclines for this lengthy meal in the middle of all of the craziness. Why? Because 15 chapters ago, Jesus said, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, 
this is why heaven sent me. This is why I came. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has called me. He has anointed me. He has charged me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind like this dude right here. And to set the oppressed free like we heard about with a demoniac a couple of weeks ago. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's grace. His favor. I came to offer free and full forgiveness to the worst and most undeserving kinds of people. This was on my kingdom list of priorities. This was why I came into the world. This is what I ensure is a part of my agenda and his insinuation, listen, this is me. You cannot come after me and not be about what I'm about. You cannot follow me and not share my kingdom priorities. Okay, so much to say, but here's the implication in the context of this series. If you are too busy or perhaps bougie to seek out and sit with the Zacchaeuses in your world, you are too busy. However you're defining busy, if your busy does not make room to sit with the Zacchaeuses in your world, you are not busying like Jesus. Busy. You are not prioritizing your calendar like Jesus did. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like to live like Jesus, especially when you are most busy. Here's some recommendations. Number one, Jesus, you must. Jesus, you must. That is the worst English you will hear all month. But it is good theology. Jesus, you must. I thought it was so striking that Jesus told Zacchaeus, I must come and sit with you. What? Did you say must? Yep. I may or may not do a lot of things today, but I must come and hang out at your house. I must bring the offer of salvation. I must come and proclaim the year of God's favor and grace and free forgiveness to the worst of people. I must do that today. It is why God sent me to earth. This is a kingdom priority. Hear me, church. One of the reasons that we tend to say that we are too busy, I'm just saying, is because we've made too many musts out of our maybes. And we've made too many maybes out of our musts. And we need to Jesus those musts, man. 
I must make the team. Oh, must you? Yes, that's why I can't do anything else. Because man, I'm on a schedule. It's a workout routine. Because if I'm going to get there, I must. Oh, you must, must you. Nope. Making the team, y'all, is a maybe. Not a must. I must get married. Mm -mm -mm. Marriage is a maybe. Not a must. Oh, no, it's a must. Why do you think I'm trying to six-pack the situation, right? Why do you think I'm trying to, you know, to paint all parts? Like, it's, it's a must. And so it's a priority, man. I've got to go where the plenty of fish are so I can be in that. It's a must. Ooh, Condor, don't go here. My kids must get an education. Oh, must they? Okay, wait a minute. You can't do that, though. Yes, they must. Must they? Your kid's education is a solid maybe. I'll prove it. I bet you, if it were up to you, you would not be okay. I don't know if you think, like, on that day, and Jesus will stand before my kids, and he'll say to them, well done, thou good and educated servant. It's not. I must have a retirement, must you? Why do you think I'm working so many hours and I don't have time to do the things that actually matter most in the grand scheme of eternity? I must. We have made too many maybes into musts and too many musts into maybes. I must be healthy and safe all the time, must you? I must get 100 likes. I must, must you? I must, I must have some me time every day, some downtime to just catch up on my shows. <laughs> Do you know how first world and bougie you sound when you say this? I don't have time. I've watched Ozark season 85 but I don't have time for that. You have made a maybe into a must. And the invitation will be, you've got to, Jesus, those musts, man. We've got to redefine in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has said, what things must be done and what things maybe we'll get to them if we get to them. And if we don't, we don't. Jesus says, I must come to your house. Look at your calendar. Ask how many Jesus musts are on there and how many Joneses musts are on there because we, we must keep up with the Joneses. Jesus is saying, join me in my search and rescue mission. You must prioritize carrying my favor to the people the religious would call disgusting. Figure out how that fits on your calendar. That is a must. And if you ask the church, show me how many Jesus musts are on your calendar. I mean, maybe I'll use my gifts to serve. I mean, maybe. That's not a maybe. It is to me. Ah, second thing, start that seeking. Start that seeking. It struck me that Jesus said, I came to seek and save the worst and the most lost and the grossest 
of sinners. He didn't say, I hope and wait. He said, I seek and save. I don't know if you knew, but seeking is an active thing that requires initiative. And Jesus proves it by making the first move. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Likelihood is Zacchaeus wouldn't have done it. I'm just telling you, if your Jesus must do not involve deliberate initiative in the direction of the people that our world would look at and say, ugh. Something on your calendar must involve activity that moves you closer to seeking out and sitting with the people the religious majority would consider gross. Oh, they're the worst kind of sinner. No, I don't mean like you're open to engaging them like if they happen to somehow break into your house and hold you hostage. I mean, what initiative? How are you seeking and joining Jesus in his rescue mission? The church is not called to wait. The church is called to go. Not maybe, that's a must. My busy must start to include seeking out the worst people according to culture and the religious majority. Last thing I'll say, go for gross, man. Go for gross. <laughs> and uh, if you're not sure where to start with this, I recommend going for gross. Listen, you don't have to tell anybody about this. Don't be like, hey, uh, so I want to take initiative to sit down with you because you nope, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, Jesus went out of his way to go to Zacchaeus' house. I promise you, Jesus found Zacchaeus' behavior gross, unbecoming, not okay. Jesus did not approve of Zacchaeus' lifestyle. And yet he went and sat with him and didn't treat him like he was gross. I'm just saying, the more repulsive you find certain behaviors or certain people, <laughs> the more likely it is that heaven is saying, ah, there you must. You better start seeking and go for gross. If they're repulsive to you, like I, I cannot, that is the worst of the government. That is the worst of the community. Like I can't even deal with or handle like it would be better if the world was just rid of thee. that heaven is like, Yep, that's exactly who we're inviting you to prioritize and put on your calendar and take initiative to move in their direction and sit with them. I'm just asking, who is the person or group of people that you find most difficult, even repulsive? For me, I'm not going to lie to you. I'll say it in church. It's people who are racially bigoted. And this week, Jesus brought that back to mind. And my wife can testify, please hear me. 
because I shared both scenarios with her. She was actually present for one of them. In one situation, it was people with my color skin who were being outrageously bigoted. And in another scenario, it was people with skin not like mine being outrageously bigoted. And in both situations, I'm like, Jesus, the world would be so much better if you just... And the spirit is like, oh, I've got somebody I want you to sit down with. And I know exactly what I need to do right now. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm going to have a meeting one-on-one in a barn somewhere. Mm -mm. But I know I'm called to take a step and to carry the grace of Jesus with me. And what am I going to say? And what exactly am I going to do? We'll see. Spirit will give me the words. But this must be on my agenda. And when I look back on my life, those are the musts I want to see populated on my calendar. Those are the musts. Oh, Jesus, you were all about this. I don't know who that is for you. For some of us, it's, it's the people would consider like sexually deviant, like those letters. It's just wrong and our children and they, they just don't deserve. And the spirit is like, yep, that's who. You have two choices. Do what Jesus did or do what the crowd did. Like, mm-mm. And Jesus says, but this is exactly who I came for. Who are y'all for? For some of you, it's the politically extreme. Like, you're like, mm-mm. Or the drug addict or the abuser or the woke. Whoever you spend so much time just griping about all the time. And in fact, if you're not sure as a parent, ask your kids. They hear you. They will tell you who you need to have over to your house because that's who Jesus would put on his calendar. And just, I'd love to sit down with you, have coffee or whatever. I, I don't know, but I, can we? And here's the beauty of it. Some of you like, are you kidding me? Not a chance. Zacchaeus could have been like, Mm-mm, no thanks. Great, you're off my calendar. I'm going to put somebody else on my calendar now. I can't control the outcomes, but I can control the initiative. I can control the starting and the moving in that direction. Come on, who is that person or that group of people? And you know it's good because, man, if the church sees your meeting together, they'll be like, oh, you went that way. Oh, that's who you are. They will associate you just, Jesus is like, welcome to it. They called me friend of sinners. And I'm like, bad, yes, I am. Oh man, how beautiful would it be in this community? The church started to step into these places and people were confused. Wait a minute, are you a Jesus follower or do you hang out with sinners? And we're like, yes. Because at the end of the day, isn't that the gospel? that we were the messy and gross ones to heaven who were covered in our sin. 
And Jesus not only sat with us, he wore one of our bodies and he stepped into our story and he came after us and heaven had questions. I'm sure the angels were like, what is going on here? And he was not ashamed to be called one of us in order to offer free forgiveness, freedom, forever and ever and ever. It should be no surprise that Jesus is like you are now. I've now taken on another body and it's called the church. You are my body. Now go do for them what I did for you. Man, we're going to participate in, in communion here. And by the way, feel free. This is family. If you didn't grab one of those, you can head to the um, entrance area. Grab one um, even while we're singing. You're going to have a few moments. So feel free to grab one of those. And what an amazing reminder of what Jesus has done for us and what he's calling us to do for the people in our world. Jesus, I pray that by your amazing grace, you would remind us of what you've done for us and what you've called us to be busy about. And may our calendars look very kingdom-like because we're following after you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.